Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. I'm a sportsman, see? Yeah, me, Bill Demarest. I make with the shotgun, see? Bang, bang! And what's more, I'm a member of a very exclusive hunting outfit in Preston Sturgis' new movie, The Palm Beach Story. Very exclusive, see? The Ale and Quail Club. Bang, bang! Once a year, we take a private car south for a little sociable shooting. And we never had no trouble till this year when we give a free ride to a dame. A dame by the name of, uh... This is Thomas Jeffers, alias Geraldine. Geraldine. <laughs> this Geraldine, that's Claudette Colbert, is running away from her husband, Joel McCrae. Claudette has it in mind to find herself a millionaire on the type of Rudy Valley, who has plenty of the green stuff and don't mind dishing it out. And what's more, has a dizzy sister, Mary Astor, which considers it a pleasure to work on Joel McCrae. But like I say, at the time, all I know is Claudette is riding in our car and the Ale and Quail Club is going soft on account of her. Bunch of sissies. Supposed to be a gun club, not a blaster singing society. Towards up a couple of crackers, George. Yes, sir. For 50 bucks. 50 bucks. All right, go ahead. Ready? Hey, trap shooting! Trap shooting! Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie The Palm Beach Story from 1942. The studio was Paramount Pictures. The release date was December 10th, 1942. So that's why it says it's released in 1942, because that was in New York City. That's the premiere. It actually was released to a wide audience on January 1st, 1943. The running time, 88 minutes, and it was in black and white. Leonard Maltin from his classic movie guide gives it 3.5 out of 4 stars. He says, hilarious screwball comedy with Claudette Colbert running away from her hubby, Joel McRae. She lands in Palm Beach with nutty millionaires Mary Astor and her bumbling brother, Rudy Valley. Overflowing with Preston Sturgis' madness from the mystifying title sequence to the arrival of the Ale and Quail Club, not to mention the Weenie King. Now, I realize that I've been on a Preston Sturgis kick episode-wise for this podcast, but you really can't go wrong with any of his films because many are forgotten or undiscovered gems for even fans of classic comedies. You know, The Lady Eve, Sullivan's Travels, and The Palm Beach Story are definitely my top three Sturgis films. And you have to keep in mind, when Sturgis was making all of these terrific comedies, it was the height of World War II, and Sturgis felt that people needed some laughter and entertainment in their lives, even if only for a few hours, and Sturgis put out some of the best comedies of the era, and they still hold up well today. 
So the main cast. Now, I've already covered the careers of many of the main players in past episodes. You know, Preston Sturgis and Claudette Colbert and Joel McRae and Mary Astor. The, the one person I haven't covered is Rudy Valley, who was considered one of the first teen idols in American pop culture in the late 1920s and the early 1930s as a radio host and singer before delving into films. Okay, let's get into the film. So it starts off fast, right out of the gate, as we get a montage of events occurring without dialogue over the opening credits with a rousing score reminiscent to the William Tell Overture, which of course was the Lone Ranger theme. It looks like there's a wedding going to happen as we cut between an apartment and the church, and a maid passes out twice. The bride is running frantically out of her luxury apartment, and we see the groom exit and then re-enter his taxi cab. We also see a woman that looks like the bride bound and gagged being held in a closet of the apartment. The bride and groom finally arrive at the church and we see the title and they lived happily ever after. Or did they? If you end up watching the film, remember this opening scene because it will come into play with a terrific ending. The bride is Jerry Jeffers, played by Claudette Colbert, and the groom is Tom Jeffers, Joel McRae. The wedding took place in 1937 and then we fast forward to present day in 1942. We see a hilarious older couple who are looking at the high-rise New York City apartment of the Jeffers, which they can no longer afford. The man is hard of hearing, and he's grumpy to boot, while his wife is oblivious to everything. Jerry spies on the grumpy old man while he inspects everything, including the toiletries in the bathroom. He even tastes their toothpaste while Jerry hides in the shower. Finally, she's had enough and confronts the old man, who ends up amusing Jerry with his loud bluntness. As it turns out, the old man is the weenie king, sausage king, of the United States and he's just rolling in wealth. He takes pity on Jerry being broke and gives her a wad of cash, which was $700, to help her out with the rent. He's happy to help out the young couple, especially the very attractive Jerry. And by the way, that's $700 back then, today it would be worth $10,000. Tom is a struggling designer who hasn't been able to land a financial backer to take on his project for a state-of-the-art airport. When Tom gets home that night, he's shocked to find out about the rent and all of the past due bills being paid, along with Jerry buying a new wardrobe. He can't believe any old man would just simply give his cash away to her. Even though Jerry's story is completely true and very innocent as we know, Tom is very jealous and not happy because he just can't understand why the weenie king would give his wife 700 bucks just out of the blue. Jerry decides she's tired of living without money due to Tom's inability to hit it big with his ideas. She believes she can actually help Tom succeed if she divorces him and then marries a rich guy, which will enable her to finance Tom's ideas. It's brilliant, right? You'll always be a sister to me, huh? I know it sounds stupid, but I'm a rotten wife. I, I can't sew, I can't cook. You certainly can't. But just because I'm a useless wife doesn't mean I couldn't be very valuable to you as a sister, but very valuable. Remember that pot roast you tried? And all the boys who want to go out with me would naturally have to be in your good graces. Naturally. Or I wouldn't go out with them. I'll say you wouldn't. They'd probably offer you partnerships. In the smelting business. In the sm no. You could have your choice. I don't begin and end with a smelter, you know. I refuse to understand what you're talking about, Geraldine. They'd, they'd work you in on deals and, and let you in on all the good things that were happening in the market and that kind of business. Monkey business. Well, very few pretty girls' brothers have ever failed, you know, if they knew enough to come in out of a hailstorm. Well, in the first place, I don't happen to be your brother. In the second place, may I ask who are all these men who are going to faint at your feet? You'd think there aren't any. I didn't say there weren't any. I just said, where are they? They're around. 
They're always there, and they make new ones every year. I don't want to be rude, honey, but you're I... You're not being rude, dear. You're just being yourself. You see, you're married to me. That's like saying you're blind to me. For a long time, I've been a part of you. Just something to snuggle up to and keep you warm at night like a blanket. But you can't see me any more than you can see the back of your neck. I, I put on new dresses. I, I changed my mind hair. I'm not looking quite so gorgeous while you say all these things? You're just plastic. Yes. Well, better get you home before you fall apart. Or do you object to spending the night under the same roof with me? I wasn't thinking about the roof. Come on. Just a minute, I gotta pay the check. I'll sleep on the thing here. Well, you know we don't love each other anymore. We're just habits, bad habits. They don't make these zippers as well as they used to. And when love's gone, there's nothing left but admiration and respect. I think it's stuck. Let me see if you can get it. Come around here in the light. You don't think this is a little intimate, do you? Doesn't mean anything to you anymore to sit on my lap, huh? No. Or if I kiss you there. Stop it, no. Or here. It's nothing. Or here. Oh, you know I'm ticklish. Why is your breath coming faster? Because you're squeezing me. Doesn't mean anything to you anymore, huh? Almost nothing. Almost nothing, huh? Almost nothing. Nothing but a habit. A bad habit. It is, huh? Very, very bad and wicked and stupid and useless. And young and impractical. And... The next morning, while Tom is sleeping, Jerry packs her bags and writes Tom a note that reads Darling, just because you got me sauce last night doesn't alter the logic of the situation. Goodbye, good luck, I love you, Jerry. Hilariously, instead of leaving the note on a table, she decides to use a clothespin and attach it to the bedspread, and it ends up stabbing Tom awake. Jerry throws the note at Tom and races out of the apartment. Tom, pantless and wrapped in a bedspread, tries to stop Jerry at the elevator to the amusement of the other tenants, but to no avail. However, Tom yells from his apartment window at the street cop to stop Jerry because she stole his suitcase. The officer temporarily holds Jerry downstairs until Tom gets dressed. Jerry hails a taxi and asks the driver the best place to get a divorce. The cabbie says Palm Beach, Florida, since the weather is nicer than Reno, Nevada. It's also closer to New York City, where they currently live. The taxi takes Jerry to the train station, where she is followed by Tom. She left her suitcase in the street and doesn't care. She's going to Palm Beach with the clothes on her back. However, she has absolutely no money for a ticket. 
She decides to work her flirty charm near the ticket taker, saying that her ticket hasn't come in, hoping some guy will offer to buy her a ticket before the train departs. Of course, her ruse works, and a groupie of wealthy men, traveling together as part of a men's club, agree to bring Jerry along, as they have plenty of tickets already bought. She will be their traveling mascot. So even though Jerry's plan works, she has a ride to Palm Beach, but she ends up having to dance and party with a bunch of drunken old men the whole trip. Back at the New York City apartment, Tom dejectedly waits for Jerry to call him, but it never comes. However, the Weenie King decides to show up to the apartment looking for Jerry, as he and his wife just moved into the building in the apartment down the hall. The little old man hilariously tells Tom what he should do, which is fly down to Palm Beach with roses in hand and win her back. He then offers to pay for Tom's flight, with his always present wad of cash. Back on the train, Jerry can't get a peaceful rest as the drunken convention boys won't leave her alone. They sing songs in her compartment. Then one of them starts firing rifles inside of the train, thinking they are on a hunting trip already. Just pick off any little pieces you see, will you? Oh. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, this is awful. Oh, dear. I can't tell you how sorry I am. Don't mention it. I break them all the time. Were you climbing upstairs there? Well, I was, yes. Just a minute. I'll help you. Well, you're much too kind. Quiet! Yes. Now, you put one foot here and one foot there, and you'll be up in a jiffy. I'd gladly trade verse with you, but mine is already Oh, no, slipped. no, I wouldn't dream of it. You've been much too kind already. Thank you so much. Quiet. Is that right? Well, you're standing on my hand, but otherwise it's perfect. Oh, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Don't mention it. You're as light as a feather. Oh, thank you. Good night. Good night. One there. Yeah. One over there. Yeah. Heave ho. The, oh, would you mind giving my foot a little push? Well, gladly. There. Uh, uh, thank you so much. Is there something the matter? Nothing at all. Everything is fine, thank you. Oh, good night. Good night. 
<laughs> so if you couldn't tell from the last clip, Jerry ran away from the drunken idiots shooting up the train and ran to the back where she found an open top bunk. However, she keeps stepping on the face of a man, which is Rudy Valley, in the bottom bunk and kept smashing his glasses. Because the drunken hunting party wouldn't stop, the train conductor decides to unhook the compartment they're located in and leaves them on the tracks. <laughs> However, the next morning, Jerry realizes that her clothes and ticket were in the compartment that was left behind with the traveling group. So now all she has is her oversized pajamas and nothing else. Jerry runs into the friendly man with the glasses in the morning who comes up with a bright idea of taking various items and creating a makeshift wardrobe from the staff on the train. She ends up having breakfast with the man who is a bit on the nerdy side, but it's obvious he has enough cash to buy them both breakfast. So Jerry isn't going to pass that up. After breakfast, the man takes Jerry on a shopping spree for a whole new wardrobe. He seems to take great delight in writing down every single purchase in his notebook, no matter how expensive it is. Jerry is grateful, but a bit apprehensive, as you would expect. However, the man admits he's never been able to spend like this on a woman before. He charges everything by giving his business card to the manager, who is speechless to find out who he is. Though we, as the viewers, still don't know who this guy is, but it's obvious he's very wealthy. The man takes Jerry on his boat, and we finally discover who he is. Is this yours? Oh, yes. Actually, it was my grandfather's, but he didn't like it. He only used it once. This was his hat. Do you happen to remember how much tip I gave the taxi driver? Well, I didn't see the coin, but from his face, I think it was 10 cents. Tipping is un-American. What's your name? Hackensacker. Not John D. Hackensacker. Well, I'm not my grandfather, of course. He's dead anyway. I'm John D. the third. Well, then you're one of the richest men in the world. Well, yes, I suppose so. I would step on your face. That's quite all right. I rather enjoyed it. Twice? You made quite an impression. <laughs> May I get you a rug, madam? Oh, no, thank you. Will you dine on deck, Mr. Hackensacker, or in the saloon? We can have it on deck if you like, but it blows everything all over the place. There are a lot of inconveniences to yachting that most people don't know anything about. Give me the peaceful train. In the saloon, please. Very good, madam. You see what I mean? I just happen to own this thing or I'd never go near it. Did you say you were John D. the third or the fourth? The third. The fourth will be my son when I marry. Oh. Well, then it, it really didn't mean anything to you to buy me all those things, did it? Well, I can't pretend that it was a great sacrifice, but it did give me a great deal of pleasure. You like to write in your little book. It used to please my grandfather. It's just a habit. It's nonsense, really. I write things down, but I never add them up. Where are you staying in Palm Beach? Oh, no place yet. Where are you staying? At my sister's. Oh, yes, the princess, or is it the duchess? The princess Chantamelia. Of course. Well, what are you going to Palm Beach for? A divorce. Oh. Well, you needn't look so sour about it. Your sister's been divorced five times, hasn't she? No, no, three. She was annulled twice. Oh. Well, I've never been divorced before. Good. By the way, what is your name? Oh, Jeffers. Geraldine Jeffers. Was he brutal to you? Oh, oh, not particularly. A drunkard, huh? No, no, not congenital or anything like that. Women always protect the man they've been married to. Yes, I suppose it's human nature. Did he beat you? Uh, not often. The hound. Oh, a man's a man, I suppose. They're all tarred with the same brush. How brave you are. When I marry, there'll be no divorce. That's why I've been a little cautious. You're afraid somebody will marry you for your money. Oh, I expect that. 
When money reaches certain proportions, you can't ignore it any more than you can a... A, a horse in a bedroom. I wasn't thinking exactly of that, but it'll serve. I see marriage as a, a sort of permanent welding, a growing together of two trees, in spite of anything my sister can demonstrate to the contrary, into a sort of permanent mess, mass, like a permanent grafting of two trees into a permanent graft. Oh, that one's too easy. Oh, you mean a permanent graft. <laughs> I get it. But it doesn't have to be. It can be very nice, I'm oh, sure. Oh, it can be. And after the divorce, you have plans? Oh, yes. Anybody I know, I know almost everybody in Palm Beach. Oh, no, I, I haven't picked him out yet. Just some very rich man. Some very rich man. Oh, I wasn't thinking of anyone as rich as you. That might get to be annoying. It is. Is it? No, I, I just meant somebody who's well fixed and who could spare the $99,000 without missing it too much. I'm not quite sure I understand about the $99,000. Well, you see, he just happens to need $99,000, and after all, I don't see any reason why he shouldn't get it if I'm throwing it out the windows. This is your last husband you're talking about? Uh, yes. He wants to sell you for $99,000. Oh, no, oh, no, I don't think he had any such idea at all. Well, what do you call it? Well, I mean, after all, I, I, he's entitled to something. I mean, he did protect me and uh, give me food such as it was and clothes such as they were for a few years. And, and now if I can repay... But the man is a vermin, no court of law. Don't you think I'm worth $99,000? That has nothing to do with you. You're probably worth that twice, that three times. But even so, the days of serfdom, I mean bondage. I mean the days you bought a wife or a cow or over. I never heard of such a thing. I, chivalry is not only dead, it's decomposed. Well, how much did this yacht cost you? That is entirely beside the point. A woman is not a vessel. I mean, of all the filthy things I've heard in my life, I still... How does he want it? In cash, maybe? In cash. So I won't stop the check, the scoundrel. Uh, I don't mean me. I mean the whoever's... Oh, well, I don't think he'll ever get it. It was just an idea. There is a name for such reptiles, but I won't sully this sweet ocean breeze by mentioning it. <laughs> so Jerry has a new friend in J.D. Hackensacker III, who is one of the wealthiest men in the world. Good job, Jerry! In the meantime, Tom has arrived in Palm Beach, expecting to woo back Jerry, but instead sees her with J.D. and his eccentric sister, the Princess Chantamelia, <laughs> Mary Astor. Jerry gets a bright idea to try to set up Tom with the princess, you know, in order to spread that wealth around equally. You have to get him drunk, or how did you do it? You'll have to tell me all about it later. Martin. Look at that very handsome man. I wonder who he is. I don't think I've seen him around before. I thought I knew all the handsome men in this village. We could use some new faces. It isn't possible. What isn't possible? I think I know that man. In fact, I'm sure of. What did you follow me down here for anyway? What do you mean, what did I follow you down here for? You're my wife, aren't you? You're making an ass of yourself, exposing yourself to all sorts of dangers that I promised to love, honor, and protect you from. But that isn't fair. Will you realize I'm doing this for you, too? Oh, I don't want you to do any more. But look, I've left you. I'm not your wife any longer. You're not my husband. Jerry, darling. No, no, no. Well, I must you... say you do know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Princess Chantamelia, my brother, Captain McGlue. What? Captain, uh, we should have met sooner, and if I'd seen you around, we would have. This is my brother, Captain Hagensacker, Captain McGlue. That's an Name. Yes, isn't it? How do you do, Captain? I'm not a captain. That's my sister's joke because I own a yacht. It's my sister's joke because I don't own one. <laughs> Very glad to meet you. Your sister didn't tell me she had a brother here. No, I just dropped well, over. You're and... staying with us, of course. No, no, we wouldn't want inconvenience. You would go to a hotel. Oh no, but oh, inconvenience as Bumble Puppy. We practically run a hotel anyway. This will give the servants some exercise. I won't take no for an answer. Your brother's a very fine-looking man. You know, you look exactly alike. <laughs> I suppose he's married. No, no, he's entirely free. You don't tell me. Now look, don't pay any attention to her, Captain. Her bark is worse than a bite. That's what you. You think? Oh dear, I wish I hadn't brought Toto along today. Somebody think of an errand to send him on. 
Hello. Toto, this is Captain McGlue. I'm going to see more of him and less of you from now on. Hello. Uh, listen carefully, dear. I left my handkerchief, mouchoir, taschentuch on the yacht. You go fetch it, see? Neats. Yitz, Toto. Neats. It'll be neats to you, Toto. Aha. And now, Captain, you may take my arm. What did you say you were captain of? I didn't say a word about it. How wonderful it is meeting a silent American again. All my husbands were foreigners, and such chatterboxes, I could hardly get a word in Edgeway. They make a handsome couple, don't they? Pardon? My sister and your brother, to be nice if something came of it. Oh, 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 yes, wouldn't it? It would be wonderful for him. Of course, she's no bargain, but it might happen very easily. She's a woman of iron determination, and once her mind is made up, you might as well yield. <laughs> I can see what you mean. I'm glad you're going to stay with us, and your brother, too. Are you? I don't know why I didn't think of it, or maybe I did think of it, but it took someone with my sister's courage to make it come true. <laughs> you're very sweet. Thank you very much. The captain's a big fellow, isn't he? Yes, isn't he? You look exactly alike. Yes, don't we? You know, people always remark on it. <laughs> <laughs> so Tom is now Jerry's brother named Captain McGlue. <laughs> <laughs> the princess wants her brother to marry Jerry, and Jerry wants Tom to marry the princess so Tom can finally build his airport. That night, all of them go out to a ritzy club, and Tom, or McGlue, dances with the princess. You don't care much for me, do you? Certainly. Why do you let me flop around? I'm sorry. You will care for me, though. I grow on people, like moss. Farista. Oh, sit down, Toto. Stop following me around. Kush, platz, sitz. Nitz. Yitz, Toto. Isn't it romantic? Oh, you have a nice little voice. Thank you. I used to sing in college. With a mandolin? I wouldn't play it around the house. <laughs> Would you be around the house much? Not anymore than you wanted me. I have an office, not that I do much in it. Say, perhaps Mac could come and help me. <gasps> that would be wonderful. You two could plan the airport together. What airport is that? The most remarkable invention you've ever heard of. A suspended airport right in the middle of the city, stretched like a tennis racket. But would it be strong enough? I mean, after all, a tennis racket. What's Jerry's husband like? Oh, oh just a flop. A big flop? Yes, any way you take it. Well, he won't be such a flop with his $99,000. Smoodles will give it to him, all right. Why not? <laughs> I ought to marry him and get it back into the family. <laughs> that would be a big joke. <laughs> of course, I'm crazy. I'll marry anyone. What's this about $99,000? I might be able to help him. In fact, I will be able to help him. In fact, I'll help him. Why not? Will you really? Of course I will, up to a certain point. How much would a working model cost? Ninety-nine, I mean, a hundred thousand dollars in that neighborhood. That shouldn't be a very difficult neighborhood to find. <laughs> I think I'll be able to do it all right. Oh, really? You've made me so happy. You don't know how much trouble he's had. That's so. Well, he won't know what trouble really is till he tangles up with Maud. Oh, that's rather unkind. I shouldn't have said it. You say about a hundred thousand? Exactly a hundred thousand. It's built. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you mean her husband wants ninety-nine thousand dollars before he'll give her a divorce? Oh, I love you like this with lightning flashing out of your eyes. Did she tell you that story? Why should we talk about that heel when you're here? Did she tell you that? Do that again, I love it. Listen. <laughs> oh, Snoodles, that's 
wonderful top. Matt will be wild with excitement. You know, when you've waited so long. Not at all, not at all. I'm delighted to have the opportunity. Uh, oh, look. darling, I have the most wonderful news. Snoodles is going to build your airport for you. Why That's should he build it? I'll build it. You don't even know what it is, Maude. Why, Toto? Well, that gives us a lot to look forward to, doesn't it? I don't know as I've told you, Mac, but your sister and I have progressed considerably since this afternoon. Oh, is that so? What's all this business about your husband wanting $99,000 before he sets you free? Oh, that was just an idea that he had. Uh, you know how people are when they're upset. I'm not sure that he actually meant it. Let's not even talk about it. No, no, let's face it. Jerry naturally wants to defend this human bacterium. Of course, that's only natural and gallant. But the fact of the matter is he's asked to fart, and as soon as my name comes into it, we're doomed. Broiled. As a hackensacker, I find it cheaper to pay than to fight. $99,000 isn't a small sum, but on the other hand, it isn't large. I should say not. Why, when I think of Stefan, to say nothing of Sergei, or that big one with the scar, what was his name? Itzk. Baron Itzk. Lucius. Itzk. Itzk, Toto. I'm awfully sorry to hear that about Tom. I knew he was a failure and a dreamer, I guess, but I didn't know he was a skunk. It's very kind of you to want to build the airport. I mean the model of it. I guess I was a little too stunned to say thank you, but you know how it is when you've been waiting for something for a long time. There's only one trouble with the whole setup, something that Jerry neglected to tell you. That is that I'm not alone in this invention. That human bacterium we were talking about, her husband has had exactly as much to do with it as I have. So you see, if you helped me, you'd be helping him too. And I know that nothing could be further from your wish. How about dancing with your brother? Shut up, Toto. My brother is thinking. So Jerry had the setup done perfectly. The money was basically in her hands to give to Tom for his airport, but of course, as much as he wants to pursue his lifelong dream, he hates everything about this setup. He simply wants to be with the person he loves, Jerry. All right, so what happens? Will Jerry keep up with her crazy idea, or will Tom eventually give in for the sake of his dream? Well, it's all answered in the final 15 minutes, and the ending is as crazy as you would imagine with a terrific twist which will explain the opening credits. As usual with a Preston Sturgis film, the dialogue is incredibly witty and the story is well-paced and just enjoyable to watch. Plus, the performances are top-notch, especially from Claudette Colbert. All right, some fun facts. It has been believed that part of the inspiration behind the story that Sturgis wrote was based on his own wife. Sturgis's ex-wife, who was an heiress, was once courted by a European prince. The original working titles of this film were Is Marriage Necessary and Is That Bad? <laughs> The first title was rejected by the production code office because it was sexually suggestive. Man, how times have changed. Sturgis had to continue to make tweaks to his script because of the quote-unquote light treatment of marriage and divorce. Also, the character of J.D. Hackensacker III was deemed too close to John D. Rockefeller, so his character was softened a bit. And in the movie, Hackensacker's sister, the princess, was given only three failed marriages and two annulments instead of the original eight. And here's something we didn't hear often back in the early days of Hollywood. Claudette Colbert was paid significantly more than her male co-star, Joel McRae. Colbert was paid $150,000 for the film, while McRae made $60,000. Carol Lombard was originally cast to play the Jerry role, but tragically, Lombard was killed in a plane crash before filming began. One thing slowing the film down was Preston Sturgis' problems with Mary Astor. Although she was an accomplished screen actress, the Sturgis brand of comedy did not come naturally to her. She would later write, It was not my thing. I couldn't talk in a high, fluty voice and run my words together as he thought high society women did, or at least mad 
high society women who had six husbands and six million dollars did. Sturgis tried to get Marion Davies for the role of the princess, but Davies had retired from the screen in 1937 and refused his offer. Sturgis came up with the Hackensacker character with Rudy Valley in mind when he saw Valley in a musical the year prior. Valley was primarily a straight man for the musical's jokes, but every time he opened up his mouth, the audience roared. Sturgis immediately created the role with Valley in mind. Studio management fought the casting of the radio star since his early pictures had all been flops, but Sturgis persisted. And even with the failed films in his past, Valley still commanded a high fee because of his success on the radio. Paramount signed Rudy Valley to a contract as a result of his performance in this film. All right, we have a special guest, Samantha, who has been also on a Preston Sturgis kick because of me. And so we get her fresh take on the film. And then after that, I have a radio adaptation from March 15th, 1943, from the Radio Screen Guild Theater. So you'll get to hear that. And then I'll be back next week to talk about yet another random movie from my DVD collection. Okay, we are back, and we are back with Samantha, our resident classic movie buff. Welcome back. Oh, hello. So this is another one I don't believe you had seen before. No, I haven't. This is brand new. So we've been kind of on a Preston Sturgis kick. So I believe you, you so the movies we've done is The Lady Eve and Holden's yeah. Travels. So where, uh, between those two and now The Palm Beach Story, where does The Palm Beach Story rank uh, between those other two? Um, I think this one, I think, kind of comes in the middle. I really like The Lady Eve. Mm-hmm. And um, that's just a great movie. And this one, I thought it had like a really strong beginning and especially a really strong end. But mm-hmm. the middle kind of lagged for me. But yeah, I thought the characters were great, though. So it all came together. Great movie overall. So, so the lagging part, kind of expand on that. Is it because of maybe the um, the John D. Hackensacker, the third character? Or was it just there was too much going on? I think, yeah, there these, there was a lot going on. And I think I kind of got lost a bit in all of the the action. Because I think once, oh God, what was her name? Um, Jerry. Jerry. Yep. Jerry. Yeah, Geraldine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Once she kind of leaves her husband and like starts her little journey. And she ends up on the train with all those guns. <laughs> Where is this going? And then um, she meets. Um, hacking Sacker. <laughs> um, but yeah, I thought that middle part. I thought it was. It felt a bit like filler to me. Okay. Um, and then once that relationship started with Hacking Sacker, it it picked up again when his sister arrived, and that got going. Um, but yeah, I, the connecting the beginning to the end, I thought had a few rough points the princess sentimilia or sentimilia <laughs> mary Astor. yeah oh i loved her character that was like the life i would lead <laughs> <laughs> she's really an underrated actress i really like mary Astor. oh yeah she's great yeah so it's interesting so there is i think some similarities between the lady eve and this not necessarily the con part but you know the lady eve's on a boat this one's on a train so if, if you had your preference do you prefer train uh, ride type films or boat um, scenarios? Ooh, well, I love the thing I love. I think I've talked about this before. Yeah. Is I love this era of film because these types of 
like travel storylines just don't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, we're stuck on a boat for a week or we're stuck on a train overnight. Like right. it doesn't happen these days. And I think they're very, um, it's this like elegant old fashioned way of travel. But if I had to pick, I, I would personally go on a, on a train. Um, I like to be on the ground. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> even though the, the ship traveling sequences are often a little more elegant, I feel um, you're not stuck in a little cubby. <laughs> yeah. There's definitely more room on a boat. So have, you, have, have you been on a cruise and, or like a, a like a, a long train ride? Oh, I well, I went on a cruise once and it was traumatic. I hated it <laughs> okay. um, when I was younger, so I don't like to think about it. Okay. Um, I love train travel. I've done it in Europe um, mm-hmm. because it's much more common and easier to do. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I love it. I like looking at the window. <laughs> <laughs> so the premise, most of these screwball comedies, the premise are kind of far-fetched. Did you feel that, like, I mean, obviously she had to go to to make this work, but mm-hmm. do, did you buy into the the fact that, you know, she had to leave basically um, Tom to to get him to succeed? Like, did did you really think she had to leave? That was, I think, something that, I struggled with a bit in this movie because you don't really get a lot of the buildup as to like, you know, why is she really leaving now? Like, okay, there was the financial issues, but you know, was there something else going on with their relationship? Um, I think if it was purely just financial, which it seems to have been, uh, it was kind of a weak like catalyst for everything, but it was just a screwball comedy. So I think it was fine. It was a little cringy. <laughs> some of the stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I was, I had, yeah, I had mixed feelings. Okay. So what, what are the cringy parts for you? Oh, cringy. I think again, it's a fact of, you know, the changing of the times mm-hmm. um, with her and then meeting the older guy. Oh, the um, weenie king. Yeah, the way he's touring her apartment while she's there. Yeah. Um, you know, I wasn't offended or anything like, oh, yeah, take that money, girl. But (laughs) I think some of the things that were talked about were a little cringy. And then as she left and ended up on the train with those old guys and then kind of getting like thrown around and like dancing with all of them. Yes. They kept trying to give her things and. Uh, I was like, oh, you can't do that nowadays. <laughs> well, um, yes and no. The only difference is you have the buffer of the internet. I mean, it's basically only fans except in person. <laughs> so. Yeah, in person donations. Yes. Much more. Um, yeah, you have to be much more confident, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's just, a, yeah, as you said, a different era. And I think, yeah, I think you bring up a great point. I think some people that are, that aren't, kind of into classic films like you and I are like, they kind of, they might really be off, you know, put off by this, but I think we're kind of, you know, used to it because we look at it through, you know, those eyes as opposed to, you know, today. Yeah. Yeah. And she kind of made fun of herself at point two, like, Oh, what are you going to do with me? Like, I can't cook. I can't, (laughs) I can't mend clothes. I can't. sew. like she ended up just as like a wife. Right. she didn't know how to do anything else. So uh, yeah. what else is she going to do that other than get married and again and find a way to get her ex 
some money. <laughs> so, okay. So uh, an obvious comparison would be between Barbara Stanwyck, who's been in a number of screwball comedies and Claudia Cobera. Who do you, do you have a preference or, or do you think they're equally great in that type of role? Yeah. Um, I really haven't seen as many of Claudette Colbert's movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like it happened one night is like her big, yeah, her big classic, which I think you know is one of the tops from that era. I love that movie. Um, so yeah, I can't really judge either way. I think they both have they're kind of similar. I think in how they act. Yeah, I think Barbara Stanwyck. She's a little more of like the clever, fast talker. Yeah. Um, so. I think they they treat their characters a bit, a bit different, but I liked both versions. Okay. So, uh, yeah. What would you have changed about the film? And I think you kind of touched upon it a little bit. And then w- the parts you absolutely loved that you wouldn't have changed at all. Well, I would have dialed down all of the, the drunk guys on the train. Sure. I thought that was just like, oh, can we stop singing already? <laughs> like, how long is this plot point going to go on? Um, I would have, yeah, definitely shortened that middle bit to kind of jump into the her, you know, new relationship right. with Captain Sacker a bit quicker. Um, right. You know, they there needed to be a reason for her to end up with him. With him at that point, but yeah, I thought I was like, okay, come on. Um, <laughs> And yeah, so I think that um, I also, I know it was ambiguous on purpose, but I had to rewatch the beginning Mm. because it starts with that fun, like montage before they get married. And it almost is set up like, I I thought I was like, wait a second, what movie am I watching? Like, is there some sort of like thriller aspect to this? Right. In a closet trying to escape. So I couldn't really figure out like what was going on. So until we got to the end and and that little reveal. Exactly. Don't Um, give it away. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, I I loved that quick reveal at the end. Yes. That was I was like, oh, my God, wow. <laughs> like, that gave me a good laugh. Um, but, yeah, so I think that begin, even though the ambiguity was, I think, trying to serve some purpose, it was a little too confusing for and me. Yeah, and, this, and this film's pretty quick. Like, it's just under 90 yeah. minutes. So it's there's a lot fast. going on. Yeah. There's so a lot there's... to keep up on. And yes. a lot of plots of them, you know, with their financial plans and <laughs> going from here to there. And... A lot of characters pop up. Yeah, super, super quick moving. But at the same time, I think that's what I really liked about it was that, you know, the plot moved right along. It kept going. We had a lot of fun jokes and one-liners and silly moments. So I think it was a good, good example of a little screwball comedy. Perfect. So you would, uh, you you, in in your kind of Preston Sturgis um, ranking, you would go Lady Eve. Uh, Palm Beach Story, then Sullivan's Travels. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, I don't. I've. I, I wasn't expecting to do 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 a <laughs> ranking. Um, but yeah, I think Sullivan's Travels is a little bit more serious. Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit different, but uh, so it's not a complete apples to apples. But yeah. Yeah, and I think I had a few hangups with that one. So yeah, mm-hmm. I we'll, we'll stick with that. We'll okay. Stick with that <laughs> but they're all recommended. They're all you all enjoyed them. You know, in just in different ways. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I think too, um, 
I liked the Palm Beach story. It had kind of a different take on a romance Mm -hmm. that was a bit refreshing where they're together and then they break up and then you see kind of how the relationship changes and what perseveres in the end. (laughs) So So we touch touch upon romance. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we kind of touch upon the um, the female actors, so we might as well wrap it up with how, how did you like Joel McRae as as the leading guy, and then of course, kind of the side characters, Rudy Valley. So, how did you like them? Yeah. Oh, good. I thought they both, I think, fit the roles. Yeah, we had the kind of you know the straight character, straight, and then the one who was a little more silly. Yeah. Or, <laughs> I'm quirky, eccentric. I thought portrayal of the kind of quirky rich guy was well done. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't um, too bothered by by what happened. He kind of just took things as they came, um, and it was that was a bit refreshing too. Yeah, um, he he was he, you you know he grew up in that way, but he he didn't seem completely jaded like other yeah. kind of rich folk portrayals of that era. Yeah, yeah. So they were good. I thought each character was well. Again, this was a short movie, so we didn't get too much buildup or anything, but right. I thought we were given enough. And I think that's a good thing about older movies is like sometimes a plot development's great, but I think today they would make this a two and a half hour movie and it would just kill oh. all the fun, you know? Oh, for sure. Or it would be like a 10 episode. Right. <laughs> oh, yes. So, yeah, I I love short movies like this. Yes. Where- in, you know, not everything has to have like so many convoluted plots. Like, right. It really, all this was, was, you know, they break up, she goes on a, a little trip, meets somebody, and then we see what happens. Exactly. Well, it's a great premise and, <laughs> and, it, and it wraps up. Exactly. I think, I think what's lost in today's films is a good film editor, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And um, I, like the small cast, we yes. just had four characters um, who are involved and mostly just two at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think really, yeah, most of the movie was Claudette Colbert. Um, yeah. She ran through the whole the whole film and I think she carried it strongly. Um, she, I think she was really captivating every part. So. I think that's another great point. You really did have movie stars way back when. Like, you could build a whole film around her. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I don't think you can really do that anymore, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, I think she had a, was a good mix of, yeah, she could do the comedy and then the more dramatic bits and mm-hmm. uh, be silly at times. Right. So it was a good combination. Definitely. Definitely. Well, thank you for watching this, Samantha. And, and uh, thanks, as always, for being on the podcast. Of course. Thanks. Lady Esther presents the Screen Guild Players. The Screen Guild play tonight, The Palm Beach Story. Starring players. This is Claudette Colbert. This is Rudy Valley. And this is Randolph Scott. (laughs) 
Tonight, Lady Astor presents the Screen Guild players in Paramount Pictures' Screwball Farce, The Palm Beach Story, starring Claudette Colbert as Geraldine Jeffers, Randolph Scott as her husband, Tom Jeffers, and Rudy Valley as John D. Hackensacker III. <laughs> Tom Jeffers was a freelance inventor who could invent anything except a way to pay his bills. Yet he refused to let his wife, Jerry, help him in any way. Then one morning, after Tom had gone to his office, Jerry was brushing her teeth when she saw a funny-looking little old man's reflection in the bathroom mirror. And like love came to Andy Hardy, financial help sneaked up on Tom and Jerry Jeffers. Hey. Who are you? Are you referring to me? What are you doing in my bathroom? Oh, just walking around. The landlord said it was all right. <laughs> I don't suppose you go with the flat. You're too pretty. Well, thank you, but I want you to know I'm not in the habit of receiving guests in the bathroom. Oh, I don't mind. Say, if they're showing me this apartment to rent and you're still in it, you must be broke, huh? That's right, but it really doesn't matter. I used to be broke, too, when I was your age. I know just how you feel. How much went do you owe? That really isn't your business. Oh, my business is sausages. <laughs> Would $500 cover it? Look, now, this joke has gone far enough. Here, take it. I'm lousy with money. Invented the Texas weenie. Stay away from him. You'll live longer. Here. What do you mean? You, you mean you're, you're just giving me all this money? Sure. Here, take another hundred. Buy yourself a new dress. Well, well I don't understand any of this, but well, thank you. Oh, don't mention it. <laughs> You're a beautiful girl. Besides, it makes me feel young again. Well, I don't know what to say. I, oh, I'd like to kiss you. I got false teeth. <laughs> You're a funny old man. <laughs> yes. Oh. Oh, yippee. Hot dog. Ooh. Are you home, dear? Yeah, she's home. Hey. Who's in there? Oh, just me, but I'm weaving. What the devil are you You're doing? You're a husband, huh, I presume? See, you sure got a beautiful wife here. Well, so long. Who was that? But, uh, just a man. He's a weenie king. He wanted to see the apartment. Hey, what's that you've got in your hand? $600. Where'd you get $600? He gave it to me. Just like that? Just like that. Look, just tell me where this weenie king lives. I'll take his money back to him. Oh, no, Tom. Tom, just think how good it'll be to have the bills paid for a change. That's right. Rub it in. I know I'm not a success. No, I didn't say that, Don. But I wouldn't be a failure if I had $99,000. Well, who would? Now, look. Do you know what I am? I, I'm just a milestone around you tonight. Millstone. All right, millstone. Anyway, you'd be more of a success without me. What? Oh, Tom, this is it. The bust-up? Yes. Did that weenie king give you this idea? I'll strangle him with a, a chain of his own sausages. Yeah, I've had the idea for a long time, but I don't know. Something always said, wait till he crashes through, wait till he gets the money to build his airport. I'll build it. $99,000 isn't so much. I'll get it someday, and then we'll be right on top. I don't want it someday. I want it now, and I'm going to get it for you. What are you going to do? Mm, become an adventurous. I don't talk right. I could be much more help to you as an adventurous than I could as your wife. Now, here, take the Weenie King, for instance. He gave me $600. He might just as well have given me $99,000 for your airport. What are you driving at? 
divorce, I guess. It's customary. Not in this family, it isn't. But, Tom, think how much better our relationship will be, just like brother and sister. Mm, that sounds just too ducky. Yeah, I'll write to you every single day. Write to me? From where? Palm Beach. It's much more fashionable than Reno and almost as quick. Now, look, you're not going through with this. What do you use for money? Well, that's $600. By the time I pay up all our bills, I'll have just enough left for a one-way ticket on the Palm Beach Limited. Porter, what track does the Palm Beach Limited leave from? Track number nine, ma'am. Thank you. Jerry. Jerry, wait. Well, will you please stop following me? I'm going to Palm Beach. You're not. Be sensible, Jerry. Tom, listen, I've made up my mind, and I'm sure this is for the best. You're forgetting a little thing called love, honey. I love you, and you love me. Jerry, I won't let you go. I won't. Now, stop it. Let go of me. Hey, 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 what's going on here? Officer, this man's trying to molest me. Make him stop. Oh, he is, is he? Now, look, laddie boy, you leave the dames alone in Pennsylvania Station, and Pennsylvania Station's going to leave you alone. Or vice versa. You get me? This happens to be my wife, you dumb cluck. Oh, I'm a dumb cluck, am I? Well... I like taste, but I ain't morbid about it. Now, you stop annoying the chains around here before I lock you up. Goodbye, darling. I'm on my way. Jerry, this is possession. Get moving, you marshal. Bye. Jerry, come back. Jerry. Look, lady, is you positive as your upper bud you in? I could have swore it was empty last night. As a matter of fact, it was. That's why I'm in it this morning. I had a stateroom in that special car at the end of the train. You mean where all them drunks were? Yes. And when they got so noisy, I couldn't sleep. I came forward and I climbed into this empty berth. Well, ma'am, you have to get out of there now because I got to make up the call. All right. If you'll go back to my car and bring me my clothes out of stateroom C, I'll be glad to get out of the supper. I'm sorry, ma'am, but I can't do that. You can't? Well, why not? Well, uh, you see, ma'am, uh, that car ain't there no more. The conductor got riled at them drunks and cut the car clean off the train. Cut the car off the train? Uh, yes, um, he set them out on the side and to cool off. Oh, but my clothes, my ticket, my, my handbag, lipstick, everything was in that car. I beg your pardon. Can I be of any help? I don't know. Who are you? The man in the berth beneath yours. Don't you remember? You stepped on my face twice. <laughs> trying to climb into your berth. Oh, well, I, I, I'm, I'm awfully sorry, really, but right now there's something a little more important on my mind. Well, what are you doing for breakfast? Well, if someone doesn't ask me, I won't be doing much. And if they do ask me, it might make quite a scandal. Huh? The lady done lost her clothes. You lost your clothes? That's terrible. How could such a thing happen? Well, her clothes was in a car that the conductor cut off and left on her side. Oh. Well, as soon as we come to a town, I could jump over to the store and jump back. Well, it's very kind of you, but I haven't any money for you to jump over to a store and jump back with. Well, I have money. Oh, you have? Oh, yes. Now, if you could just get over to the store to pick out what you need. Oh, of course, I could wrap myself in a blanket and go as an Indian. That's an excellent idea. You could do that now. While we're waiting to come to a town, we could go into the diner for breakfast. What do you say? Well, just give me a second to get the blanket arranged. Fine. Then after breakfast, when the train stops at Jacksonville, we'll jump off and buy you a few things. Now let's order breakfast. First glance, the 35-cent breakfast seems to be the best bet, but if you analyze it for solid value, the 55-cent is the one. You think you can afford it? Oh, I'm not really like that. It's just my upbringing. You can have anything you want. There's even a 75-cent breakfast if it appeals to you. Well, maybe we could share it. 
Uh, waiter, two seventy-five cent breakfast, please. Waiter, I'll start with a prairie oyster. Yes, ma'am. And I'll have a prairie oyster also, whatever it is. Make mine on the half shell. There's the Palm Beach City limits. We'll be in the station very soon. <laughs> you realize that after all you've done for me, I, I don't even know your name. Oh, it's Hackensacker. Well, oh, not John D. Hackensacker. Oh, I'm not my grandfather, of course. I, I'm John D. the third. Well, then you're one of the richest men in the world. Yes, I suppose so. By the way, where are you staying in Palm Beach? Well, no place yet. Where are you staying? At my sister's, the Princess Chintimedia. What are you going to Palm Beach for? A divorce. Oh. Well, you didn't even look so sour about it. Your sister's been divorced five times, hasn't she? No, only three. She was annulled twice. Well, I've never been divorced before. Good. By the way, what is your name? Jeffers. Geraldine Jeffers. Was he brutal to you? Oh, oh, no, no, not particularly. Oh, man's a man, I suppose. How brave you are. Yes. Do you have plans after the divorce? Oh, yes. Anybody I know? I know almost everybody in Palm Beach. Well, I haven't picked him out yet. Just some very rich man. Some very rich man. Oh, I don't mean anyone as rich as you. No, no, that might be annoying. Just someone who could afford to give Tom $99,000. He wants to sell you for $99,000? Well, I wouldn't put it exactly like that. There's a name for such reptiles, but I won't sell you this air conditioning by mentioning it. Well, he's not really, not at all what you think. Well, I may not be exactly in the best of shape. If ever I meet this Mr. Jeffers, I'll thrash him within an inch of his life. Well, then I hope you never meet him. I suppose he's large. He's not small. That's one of the tragedies of this life. That the men who are most in need of a beating up are always enormous. <laughs> Yoo-hoo! Who's that? That's my sister, the princess. Hello, Maud. Hello, Snoodle. She calls me Snoodle. Is that the prince with her? No, the prince has abdicated. This is something new. It might be a duke. It might be a tailor, too. She goes out with anything. Hello, Snoodles. Oh, what a beautiful dame. Did you have a nice trip? Wherever did you find her? This is Toto. Say, how do you do, Toto? Greetings. <laughs> Toto's a refugee uh, from his creditors, I think. Greetings. <laughs> well, Snoodles, aren't you going to introduce me? This is my sister, Maud. Mrs. Uh... Uh, oh, don't tell me he doesn't even know your name. Why, this is perfectly marvelous. Now, just tell me he picked you up on the train and you'll make me a happy woman. Greetings. <laughs> no, no, Toto. His English is a little elementary. Neats. Neats. Spigoglo. What language is there? Uh, nobody's been able to figure it out. Greetings. <laughs> Come, Toto. Let's go, everybody. The car's waiting. It, oh, look at that very handsome man. I wonder who he is. Oh, oh it isn't possible. What isn't possible? Well, I, I think I know that man. In fact, I'm sure of it. Well, you must introduce him. Oh, just a minute. I'll be right back. Oh, how did you get down here? Oh, that... Well, where'd you get the money from? Same place you got yours, from the Weenie King. Only I didn't have to kiss him goodbye. The Weenie King. Yeah, he wanted to see us get back together, and darling, we can't disappoint him. Oh, stop it, you idiot. You've got to realize I'm not... Well, I should say you do know him. <laughs> oh, Princess, uh, the, the Princess Chantamelia, this is my, uh, this is my brother, Captain McGlue's. Well, 
should have met sooner. If I'd seen you around, we would have. You're staying with us, of course. Oh, no. Oh, no, I won't take no for an answer. Greetings. Toto, this is Captain McGlue. Toto, I'm going to see more of him and less of you from now on. Greetings. Toto, why don't you run along and go to a movie or something? Nits. Nits, Toto. Nits. It'll be nits to you, Toto. Spigoglio. Well, Captain McGlue, let's go. You may take my arm. <laughs> they make a handsome couple, don't they, Jerry? Huh? My sister and your brother. It'd be nice if something came of it. Oh, yes. Something like an accident. And so ends Act One of Palm Beach Story, starring Claudette Colbert, Randy Scott, and Rudy Valley. Further development from the life of Tom and Jerry in just a moment. But first, here's a word from our hostess, Lady Esther. Have you been reading in the newspapers all about the wonderful things that scientists predict for the world of tomorrow? The world that will be ours when victory and peace have been won? There was an article in the New York Sun that was particularly interesting to me. The title was, Tomorrow Will Be Wonderful. And it told all about the thrilling new things that are on the way. The great changes and developments we can expect. Well, there's one new development for which you don't need to wait. A truly wonderful development in the care of the skin. Not tomorrow, but now. Now, when you need it most, my new type scientific face cream brings your skin four important aids to beauty all in a single jar. Just think, Lady Esther four-purpose face cream acts four ways at once to make your skin look fresher and lovelier. All you do is rub it into your skin. Wipe it off, and here's what it does. First, it thoroughly cleans your skin. Second, it softens your skin and relieves dryness. Third, it helps nature refine the pores. And fourth, it leaves a perfect, non-sticky base for powder. Now, all I ask you to do is try Lady Esther four-purpose face cream. Try it and see for yourself how much fresher and smoother, how much younger your skin looks after the first few applications. And now, Act Two of Palm Beach Story, starring Claudette Colbert as Jerry, Randy Scott as Tom, and Rudy Valley as John D. Hackensacker III. Tom Jeffers made his surprise appearance at the Palm Beach Railroad Station, Jerry was stunned. She was trying to get John D. Hackensacker to put up the $99,000 Tom needed to promote his airport invention. But she had told John D. the $99,000 was the price her husband demanded for letting her get a divorce. So she introduced her husband, Tom, as her brother, Captain McGlue. As the curtain rises, we find Tom and Jerry in the living room of their suite in the home of the Princess Centimiglia. Why did you have to introduce me as Captain McGlue, Jerry? Because I want Snoodles to back your invention for you, darling. He seems to have something against my husband, but as my brother... Yeah? Well, I wouldn't let him back anything for me. 
Jerry, where'd you get that expensive suit? Snoodles bought it for me in Jacksonville. Oh, I see. What's that you've got on your wrist? Just what you think it is, dear. A bracelet. What kind of stones are those? Rubies. And it costs $3,500. You know what it feels like to be strangled with bare hands? Excuse me, Mac. You don't mind if I call you Mac, do you? Did you happen to bring a tuxedo with you? I did not. Well, in a pinch, you can wear one of mine. If it's the one I saw you wearing, I know where it's going to pinch. <laughs> oh. Well, anyway, I'm very glad you showed up just when you did. So am I. Good. I needed a male member of Jerry's family. You have him. Fine. Now, I have a certain thought. That... I have a certain thought, too, and it's that bracelet. Oh, no. Mac is delighted with it, Snoopy. He shouldn't be. He isn't. Fine. The first bracelet my sister got, I felt like punching the fellow right in the nose. Well, why didn't you? He felt like punching me first. Well, I'm getting the same feeling. Oh, there you are, Captain McGlue. You're the most elusive man I've ever seen. Why do you keep running away and hiding from me? Well, you see, it's Oh, like it this. really I... makes no difference. I always find you. <laughs> now, come along with me. I want you to get a chance to know me better. Besides, I think Snoodles has something very private to tell your sister. Oh, he has, has he? Uh Uh-huh, and I have something very private to tell you, too. But I want to hear what he tells my sister. It might be educational. Well, if it's education you want, come with me. Jerry, Jerry. Oh, I'm so glad you're back. Darling, I have the most wonderful news for you. Snoodles is going to put up the money for your airport invention. Yes, Mac, I think it's a great idea. Oh, you do, do you? Well, what's this Maud has been telling me about your husband wanting $99,000 before he'll give you a divorce? Oh, oh, well, let's not even talk about that. No, no, let's face it. Jerry naturally wants to defend this human bacterium. Did Jerry tell you that this human bacterium has exactly as much to do with the airport invention as I have? No, but that makes it perfect. I'll build the airport and his share will be more than $99,000, so he'll have to release Jerry. You are. You certainly are a jealous and beautiful brother. Mm, yes, isn't he? Well, I'm going to drag him away again. I want to show him the moon. But we looked at the moon last night. I know. But you weren't on the beam. <laughs> My sister's a very determined woman. Your brother hasn't a chance. What? Oh, let's not worry about them. I think this is the happiest night of my life. Really? You've freed me of a certain timidity from which I've always suffered. And now with you and Mac in the airport... I can see great days of fun ahead. Oh, I'm sure of it, Snoodles. Um, where do you suppose they went? Who cares? By the way, I have a little surprise for you. Oh, well, I, I wouldn't do anything too surprising if I were you, Snoodles. You never can tell how those things will turn out. I'm persuaded you'll be delighted. Well, I certainly hope I will be. Be sure and leave your window open onto the balcony. What? So you can hear your surprise. Oh, well. Oh, good night, Snoodles. Good night. I'll see you in my dreams. Yeah, that's a very good place. <laughs> well, well, for goodness sakes... Your brother's standing out there kissing my sister. You're a fast worker, aren't you? You have your nerve to talk. So you couldn't even wait a decent interval, you and your princess. I was trying to get away from her. I'd have made it, too, if that silly brother of hers hadn't come out just then. Well, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Listen, I'm the one who has the right to criticize... You, 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 you shouldn't have come down here. You should have given me a little time to get used to the idea of our being divorced. Oh, well, maybe I should. But you can't blame a man for trying to hold on to something he loves. That he always has loved. Always will love. Oh, stop it. You're, you're going to make me cry. Jerry, darling. No. No, you're forgetting the airport. You're forgetting everything that counts. I'm remembering the only thing that counts to me is you. What's that? 
That must be the surprise Noodles promised me. Oh, he shouldn't do things like that on a night like this. Good night, Tom. Well, uh, aren't you going to kiss your brother good night? Well, uh, I don't suppose that could be any harm than that, could we? Oh, my darling. So I'll say good night, sweetheart. Though I'm not beside. Oh, darling. Darling, darling. We were meant to be together, always. I hope you realize this is costing us millions. Good night, sweetheart. Lovely, generous, good-hearted man. Really, you're a woman's ideal, only you, you shouldn't have sung last night. What? I don't understand. Oh, here's your bracelet. I'm going back to my husband. That skunk. Oh, well, he, he isn't really. I, I let you think much worse about him than he is. But what about the $99,000? He didn't want that. I, I wanted it for him. Oh. Well, where's your brother? I think he's telling your sister that we're leaving. He's already told me, and I don't like the idea. You know Jerry's going back to her husband? Well, yes, but I don't see why Captain McGlue has to go with her. No, there's no need for that, really. Well, of course not. You and the captain and I can't go to work on the airport idea. I'm afraid that isn't possible. Why not? I still have, I always will have the deepest affection for Jerry. Certainly nothing has happened to spoil my friendship with her brother. Well, you see, Snoodles, he isn't exactly my brother. No. He isn't exactly your brother. No, he's, uh, he's more my husband. He's more your husband? That's right. Well, no wonder. <laughs> I thought I was losing my grip. You mean he, you mean he's the vermin who, 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 what? That's right, you said he didn't. Then it's the Jeffers Airport, that's it, isn't it? Are you still talking about that airport? You don't mean you're still interested in it. Certainly, if an idea has merit, it has merit. After all, Grandfather hated oil, it... They made his eyes water, you know, but that didn't stop him from making millions out of it. You mean you'd finance a bacterium? Why not? On a purely business basis, of course. Right now, I don't like you, but I may later on. Right now, I need something to occupy my mind. Mm, he broke his Meccano set. <laughs> the airport will be something, if not exactly what I hoped for. Come on, Snoodles. This is a shock to me, too. I wonder where Toto is. Greetings. <laughs> well... I'm glad nothing happened to you. McGlue's married. You're the head man again, Toto. Neats. What do you mean, Neats? Spigoglu. Well, Mr. Jeffers, I'll write a check for $99,000. It'll be waiting for you when you leave. Goodbye, Jerry. Goodbye, Snoodles. Goodbye, McGlue. Come on, Toto. Yes! <laughs> Tom, darling, you see? Everything worked out perfectly. I've got you, you've got me, the princess has Toto, and... Oh, wait a minute. What's John D. got? Him? Nothing. Not a thing. Nothing but a lousy hundred million dollars. And so ends another Lady Esther Screen Guild Players presentation of a popular motion picture. Our thanks and appreciation to Miss Colbert, Mr. Valley, and Mr. Scott. 
As you know, our stars donate their performances for the benefit of the Motion Picture Relief Fund. We're always happy to appear under these auspices, Mr. Bradley. The Motion Picture Relief Fund is of vital interest to all of us in the industry. In just a moment, Rudy Valley and Randy Scott will return to the microphone. But first, I'd like you to hear a word from one of America's best-known beauty authorities, Lady Esther. Do you know how you can tell whether or not your skin is getting a little too dry? And whether that dryness is beginning to encourage little lines around your eyes, your mouth? Here's how you can tell, and very quickly. Give yourself what I call the smile test. Just get up close to your mirror. Smile. And while smiling, study the skin around your eyes and mouth. What do you see? Is there a network of tiny crisscross lines in the corners of your eyes? Does your skin look a little puckered and crinkly around your nose and mouth? Now, don't blame it all on squinting and on laughter. You may not need to have little lines and crinkles that make you look older when you smile. It may very well be that the delicate tissues around your eyes and mouth are too dry that they haven't the elasticity to spring back to normal smoothness. So many women use Lady Esther Four Purpose Face Cream for the express purpose of softening their skin and relieving the dryness that causes little lines. You see, Lady Esther face cream softens the delicate tissues without stretching them and so helps the skin look much smoother and younger. But that's only one of the four important things Lady Esther face cream does for your skin. Two, it thoroughly cleans your skin. Three, it helps nature refine the pores. And four, it leaves a perfect non-sticky base for powder. Yes, Lady Esther four-purpose face cream gives you all these aids to beauty. And you don't need to wait long for results. You'll see how much fresher, how much more vivid and alive your skin looks after the first few applications. And now, here is Randy Scott. Every one of you is familiar with some phase of the great work of mercy done by the American Red Cross every year. But war increases the need for this work many times over. For example... Did you know that the Red Cross field directors and their staffs are with America's fighting men wherever they go? And behind the lines, the Red Cross operates service clubs and recreation centers for our men overseas? The Red Cross keeps in touch with American men in prison camps and helps supply their needs. Just remember those few facts when the volunteer worker calls on you. Remember, too, that it's men like your own sons and brothers, your husband or sweetheart, whom the Red Cross is serving. This year, don't measure by ordinary standards. Make your contribution to the Red Cross War Fund just as generous as possible. Rudy, have you anything to say? Yes, Randy. I'd like to read a telegram we've just received. It's addressed to Greer Garson and James Cagney. Dear Jimmy and Greer, heartiest congratulations on your Motion Picture Academy Awards. To you, Greer, for your excellent performance as Mrs. Miniver. And to you, Jimmy, for your splendid work in Yankee Doodle Dandy. We sincerely thank you for permitting the Lady Esther Screen Guild players to be the first to bring to radio listeners both of these great stories. Warmest personal regards, Gene Herschel, President Motion Picture Relief Fund. Next week, the Lady Esther Screen Guild players will present Metro Golden Mayor's outstanding musical saga of Vaudeville for Me and My Gal, starring the original motion picture cast Judy Garland, George Murphy, and Gene Kelly. Be sure to listen. Claudette Colbert is now working in So Proudly We Hail. Rudy Valley can soon be seen in Happy-Go-Lucky, both are Paramount Productions. Rudy Valley appeared through courtesy of the U.S. Coast Guard. Randy Scott is currently starring in the Universal Production, Pittsburgh. <laughs> <laughs>
Music on tonight's pro program was arranged and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. To save materials, buy the larger size of Lady Esther face cream. The Screen Guild players are presented every Monday night at this time by Lady Esther. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. If you are ever in the San Francisco Bay Area and still love collecting or renting DVDs or VHS tapes, come check out Captain Video and San Mateo at 2837 South El Camino Real. Captain Video is open six days a week and closed on Wednesday, and one of the last traditional video stores still running in the United States. New movies you can rent for $2.99 a day. Old movies you can rent for $2.99 for five days. And if renting isn't your thing, you can also purchase anything you find in the store. Be sure to tell Ira that you heard about Captain Video from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. Happy renting and happy collecting at Captain, Captain Video. 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 Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.